Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. What I love about Shopify is basically how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. I know we use Shopify here at Betches. And honestly, anyone with any kind of business could really benefit from Shopify. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash betches, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash betches now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash betches. In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey, the podcast where we cover all the pop culture we love to hate, from the classic reality TV moments of the past and present to the latest Daily Mail headlines and everything in between. We'll dive into all the infamous and notorious messes you can't stop watching. I'm looking at you, Jax Taylor. I'm your host, Ryan Bailey.
really matters is what you like, not what you are like. Books, records, films, these things matter. Welcome to So Bad It's Good with Ryan Bailey. This is Ryan. This is your Thursday episode, and this is the show that does firmly believe what we like makes us who we are. And we're pretty damn great. So uh, let's get into today's show. It's going to be a little different in that it's uh, we're not going to goof around a lot. Um, because I have a guest that I have been wanting to speak to uh, ever since I saw the four-part docu-series on Hulu. Uh, it's a, a documentary, a docu-series called The Deep End, uh, where it follows uh, spiritual leader Teal Swan. And we'll get into her in a second, but we get to talk to the director today, John Kasabi. And I just was so excited for this interview. Uh, we did this a couple days ago. And he was great. And I just, I want to... Uh, point out, and I, and I love that I have the, the platform to do this, is that these things that we watch that we love are made by these really super dedicated people that have a vision. And even when it's reality-based, remember they have a vision in how they attack these things. And what I loved about The Deep End so much, which I have recommended to you guys many times, but I'm going to really need you to sit down with it at some point. There's only four episodes. You can find it on Hulu. It was uh, for Freeform. It was produced by Freeform, but you can find it over on Hulu. And to me, it is so refreshing when you see something that's like, this is different. This is real. Uh, and the way they pieced it together, um, I just, the the art geek in me, the film geek in me, it just was a cut above everything I've seen in a long time. Of course, I'm comparing it mainly to Housewives. <laughs> Uh, how are you guys doing? Have you made it through the week so far? Now, listen, a little birdie told me, uh, the internet, that we have some Khloe Kardashian, Tristan Thompson news. You might be tuning in today to, to want to get to my, my, my reaction, my unfettered thoughts, and here's what I'm going to say. I love it. No, uh, I'm going to say uh, you're going to hear all of my rant on that on Friday's show. Uh, that and Real Housewives of Beverly Hills recap. So we are going to have a wild time on Friday. I'm going to need you guys to prepare mentally now for a lot of the rage that will be coming out of me tomorrow that you'll hear on Friday. But I wanted today to focus on uh, uh, on this project, The Deep End, and this director. I wanted to do one quick news story just because I had talked about this yesterday in the interview with Ronald Richards. I thought that was really great. Remember, you can see that on YouTube as well. Uh, and also, we, uh, we did a Patreon tease where you can get the fifth episode recap of Ultimate Girls Trip over there on YouTube if you want to see me do that. Uh, the rest of the episodes are up on Patreon. Now, the sixth episode of Ultimate Girls Trip airs on Thursday, so I'm going to try to get that out to you before I leave to visit my folks because uh, it's going to be my mom's birthday and and uh, I want to spend time with her. I'm very excited. You'll get to hear from Bill and Becky Bailey uh, next week. And it's been a while since they've been on the show. Do you guys, has anybody been with me long enough where they were here during pandemic where my parents were coming on every week and we would do the, uh, we would do the check-in, the, the quarantine check-in with them. And I just always, I'll always remember that. Like I have so many amazing memories with my family, but that, 
uh, talking to them and, and talking to my dad about uh, his adventures to go find toilet paper and my mom uh, with her puzzles. So many great memories that I think about all the time. And I was so lucky to be able to record those. And I just imagine I'll be listening to those forever. So you'll hear from them again. Uh, rest assured they have gotten uh, or stayed as kooky as you remember them. <laughs> so uh, you'll hear them next week. Very excited to have them back on. Um, I wanted to clarify one thing yesterday when I did talk to Ronald Richards, and thank you for being so kind about that. I thought that was a great interview. Uh, Ronald Richards will sometimes ga um, garner a lot of uh, heat, a lot of uh, sometimes a lot of negativity because he really does go after these people, and he, he uses all of these different tactics. And you know, some people might not agree with the tactics he uses, but they're effective in a lot of the ways. Now, I. I forgot to tell Ronald at the end of the interview, I was like, just please never sue me. Like, I just, I would hate to be on Ronald Richards' bad side. But I will say, as somebody that is fascinated with the legal process in regards to how it affects reality shows, uh, I am so appreciative and fascinated by the work he does. And that interview yesterday was so much information. I hope you guys thought that as well, because I was like a kid in a candy store. I could have kept asking questions. You know, like, it was just one of those, I was like, oh, another thing, can I ask this? And... The time went by so quickly, and uh, I, I just learned a lot, and that's really what is so exciting for me and, and hopefully for you as well. Now, we did talk about, I think, on um, the show yesterday or the show the day before where I was talking about Andy Cohen's initial reaction to the Jen Shaw. It was yesterday, I think. The Jen Shaw uh, plea change, and it was on his serious uh, XM radio show with his co-host John Hill, who I want to remind everybody that People Magazine said it was actor Jonah Hill. How I like the, the fact that I am more put together than People Magazine just shows you how far the magazine industry has gone down. By the way, shout out to Entertainment Weekly. I still miss you every week, man. Do you remember? Were you guys like me? I loved Entertainment Weekly magazine so much. Uh, it was oh, you know, uh, oop, my Apple watches. Every Friday, I would wait for the mail. And, I mean, this is, I, I was a subscriber for like 20 years or something. And it was a, you know, you'd get, you'd open up the mailbox and you'd have an entertainment weekly. And it was your, uh, your window into the, uh, the world of entertainment. Like you, you got it. It was so special. You had the, the fall movie preview and then the winter movie preview and the fall. Uh, it was just so many amazing things. And I'm so sad because it's always nice to have something tactile in your hands and a different kind of tactile than your phones or your iPads or your Apple watch or any of those things, which I love dearly. In fact, we'll talk tomorrow about how I did not go on my phone for an hour today and I will always regret it for the rest of my life because it was the hour that all the Khloe Kardashian information came out. Anywho, um, there's something amazing about having a tactile book or magazine, or CD, or movie in your hands. There's always something so special to that. And listen, I was an interesting kid and an interesting young adult, and now an, a weird adult. But those things, you know, we all shared those commonalities. Like we always like, I think a lot of us loved the, you know, having a magazine with you being able to flip through a magazine and it scares me because you're like, then you see mistakes in people magazine. You're like, Oh my God, who's checking you guys over there? What, how do I know more? Uh, who knows? 
Um, okay, so anyways, I did talk about Andy's initial reaction, and his reaction was like, oh, Jen, like, it's, you know, um, she just changed her plea, that's it, and she just got my daughter a birthday gift, or a gift, and it was so nice, and so today, uh, on his radio show, he clarified his statements, which I was so pleased about, and he, uh, his initial response, he came onto his radio show, and he said, um, I don't know how to feel about this. Or he, okay, so he said, uh, sorry, they're doing the comments that he had said the day before. Uh, now he is saying when he first said those comments, the news had just broke. So he really didn't have time to react to Shaw's pretty stunning confession when the news broke on Monday. And now he says, having sat with this, how do I feel? I'm upset, and I'm especially upset for her victim, said the host. I'm upset that she lied for so long and claimed to me that she was an example of someone being wrongly accused. Cohen reminded listeners that Shaw has maintained her innocence during the Real Housewives of Salt Lake City Season 2 reunion, which we played those clips on Tuesday. Uh, he said, if you remember sitting there at the reunion and she was so dogmatic about it that I felt, okay, you know, let this woman have her day in court, he recalled. Um... So he then went on to say um, he had intended to stand by Shaw during her legal battle because he believed her when she said she was innocent. He says, I'm also upset because, frankly, you get to know someone and you get to like them. You want to cheer them on and you hate to think that they're capable of this behavior. Cohen expressed his intentions to speak to Shaw, not ruling out a public conversation. He says, we shot all season with Jen and I have a lot of questions for her and I'm sure the audience, especially those who supported her and stood by her, does too. I really hope to get the opportunity to speak with her and to ask those questions. Uh, Cohen also discussed the case with a caller who pointed out that Shaw deceived not only her victims, uh, but uh, the Real Housewives castmates and the show's viewers. And he says, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If you have something to hide, reality TV may not be the avenue. Am I right? And then he concluded, I'm upset. Yeah, I'm upset. I'm really upset. Okay, that's, you know, it's it's good when, I, I love when sanity happens, when you're like, yes, that is correct. I'm glad you had time to think. And sometimes, you know, context is so important with these things, and we're always like rushed to judgment. Even if we see a false rumor, we'll take it as fact. And, you know, we, we don't really have that breathing room that we used to because of things like the internet. And we're always so in each other's faces, including on this podcast. But I love when people kind of like sit with something and go, hey, this is how I actually feel now that I think about it. And especially for Andy Cohen, I think that is great. But I also want to point out leading into our guest today, that last thing he said, I'll say it again. If you have something to hide, reality TV may not be the avenue. Am I right? Which takes us into the deep end. Uh, a stunning four-part docuseries that you're going to he hear me keep saying that it's an amazing four-part docuseries. Um, and it's a little different than a reality show, right? And you would think it's way different than a reality show. Like, oh my gosh, this has a spiritual leader involved. This person has touched millions of lives. And I was not aware of Teal Swan until I saw this docuseries. And then after that, it inspired me to go uh, look up her YouTube videos. She has a lot of reaction videos to the uh, four-part docuseries. Uh, where she is, she, you know, she wants all the footage released. She's claiming a bad edit, which a lot of reality TV stars claim that. And it's interesting because 
the marriage of these two kind of formats of reality series and docu-series, you know, you realize they're not too far away from each other. That we've heard Housewives and Jax, Taylor, and all of these other people complain about an edit, and we only saw a certain piece, and they set us up, and they set this up. Um, but we hear it now in the docu-series uh, after the fact from Teal Swan. Now, I'm going to go a little bit into Teal Swan's backstory. Now, remember, if you are curious about any of this stuff, um, please go check her out. See for yourself. Um, but I always do not like, you know, we can be so broken as people sometimes. And we can have really dark moments where we are really susceptible because we want somebody to understand. We want somebody to make it better. And you have to put a lot of trust into people that they will not abuse your neediness. They will not abuse that you are looking to someone to give you the answers. And that is one of the questions that's raised in this docuseries is that can you trust Teal Swan? Now, also remember, this is what the podcast should be called. Two things can be true at once, right? We do talk about the idea in this interview that Teal can have helped a lot of people. She could have done a lot of good work. But also, she could be considered a cult. Now, I don't want to give away anything, and we do our best not to in this interview, because I really do want you to see it. But the conceit of this is they even hire, Teal does, an outside uh, investigator, if you will, to look into their business and her teachings and determine if it could be considered a cult or not. Because Teal was like, yeah, let's open it all up. I want to know the answer. And sometimes people don't like the answer that they're given. But this docuseries takes you on a fascinating journey. And like I said earlier, it's a cut above anything else I've really seen because the way that they use the music and the editing is so visceral. You have such a front row seat that sometimes it can make you feel sick. It, it's alarming. Even the first the first scene where Teal and a follower are in the pool and this lady is going through something so emotionally brave and uh, Teal is holding her and we're hearing tears and it's just, it's wild. But what I also like about John Kasabi, the, the director, and he even says this, is that, you know, he was hoping that you would watch this and go look at things for yourself. And also to point out, and I point this out in the interview, but just up top, because we might have a lot of people listening today that don't know me, that don't know the show. Um, and, and you know, there's a, there's a lot of people that might be Teal's followers. Teal might be listening or, or people that work for Teal. This, I believe, is a very fair interview. Um, but I also want to point out that I'm a fan of the work put into this um, and I can also separate that from Teal herself. I think there was something very special made. And I also make the point that, listen, in today's day and age, any press is good press. Because I had never heard of Teal Swan. I actually went and checked her out. I went and checked out some of her YouTube videos. Now, I want to get into a little bit of Teal's past. Uh, and this is so remedial, you guys. A lot of this is pulled from... Uh, from Wikipedia, uh, but she is an American spiritual influencer and author. Uh, so Teal Swan was born Mary Teal Bosworth, uh, was born in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She is a public speaker and author. Her genre is spirituality. Um, now, if you were to have a thesis statement, is that spiritual teacher, 
Uh, but places like The Guardian and the BBC have criticized Swan's teachings on how to manage health, mental health issues and her approaches to promoting those teachings to gain followers, which we do see a scene in the docu-series where uh, one of her uh, employees, friends, followers is talking about what he hopes to build on Facebook, which they use as a tool to, to get her message out and that he's hoping to double the, uh, the Facebook followers and stuff by a certain date. Now, as somebody that has tried to build his podcast, I know those conversations all too well, but it is so interesting to hear them in terms of a spiritual guru, somebody that is trying to help, but also, you know, very much acknowledging that you want to have the biggest audience out there. And, and there's no shame in that, right? There is no shame in that. Uh, there's even a quote, I believe at the end of the docu-series where she's like, man, yeah, why can't I be bigger than the Pope? Now you guys might've already heard her because there was a, um, I think it was like a six or seven, uh, uh, sorry, a six-part series, uh, a Gizmodo podcast in 2018 called The Gateway that uh, went into Teal Swan and her work and her self-help spiritual teachings on depression and how her techniques process past trauma in order to overcome it. And you'll see that on this docu-series, really intense scenes where they almost sometimes reenact past trauma. And a question that is that gets brought up not only in the podcast and this documentary, uh, but in other YouTube videos I've seen is that are some of these people creating or encouraged to create past trauma? You know, you had examples of people that all of a sudden had these repressed memories, and I want to give a huge trigger warning to some of these things, of their uh, families abusing them, you know, not just mentally, but sexually. These things all of a sudden just came out of the blue after working with Teal. So, um... Let's see here. Uh, she has described interactions with the mental health profession in her childhood. She recalled, my mother drugged me to every therapist you can think of, and I received every single diagnostic, schizophrenic, bipolar, borderline, everything. Swan reports an admission to a psychiatric ward after her first suicide attempt at age 17. Uh, Swan has stated in numerous interviews that she was abused, raped, and psychologically tortured from the age of six onwards by a family friend. We lightly go into this in the docu-series, and my hat's off to the production that they didn't fully go into this. They didn't make it this kind of salacious, is all of this true, let's dig all of this out, and I really appreciated that because I think a lot of other productions would have dove headfirst into trying to highlight this, see if it's fully true, find the guy, you know, and, and, and this piece did not need it, but, uh, we should be aware that this is in her past. Um, so she did an interview in 2014 that was broadcast on uh, KIVI-TV of Idaho, and the interview focused on Swan's statements that she had been su subjected to ritualistic abuse by a satanic cult for over a decade with the object of eliminating her extrasensory abilities. Swan received a therapy from Barbara Snow, a figure involved in the, the satanic panic. Now, if you guys are aware, the satanic panic was huge in the 80s. It, all of a sudden, satanic panic, that's why they called it that, because, you know, they were like, your, you know, kids in the cities are, are ruled by Satan. I mean, even like, remember the West Memphis Three? 
you know, that was part of uh, a satanic panic. All of these interesting, there were so many, I remember, uh, like Geraldo Rivera used to do so many episodes on the satanic panic. It was a very big thing in the 80s. Um, so supposedly uh, she had been subjected to uh, ritualistic abuse by a satanic cult. Um so in 2011, she released the book, The Sculptor in the Sky, and she started her YouTube channel. Now, I'm on YouTube now, and I just know how tough it is. So uh, I do appreciate Teal for that because she's hugely successful on YouTube, you guys. I mean, hugely. Um, let's see. Some of her teaching methods sometimes guide participants to envision their own deaths uh, occasionally by suicide. And... Suicide is a thing that comes up a lot uh, with Teal Swan, um, not because she's talking about it, but, you know, people will say, you know, I have attempted it or I have thought all about it. And this is where some of the uh, some of the claims against her kind of start because a couple of the people she had worked with did commit suicide. So uh, let's see here. Quote here says, in the video on YouTube, Swan urges those who are feeling suicidal to seek medical help, but goes on to say that in her experience, for some people, this may not help long term. She instead suggests that suicide be seen as our safety net or our reset button that is always available to us. She argues that viewing it in this way enables people to set the idea aside and instead concentrate on what they can do to make themselves feel better in the present. Which is really intense if you think about it, because you're already dealing with really fragile people. And she says the right thing of like, okay, but now put that aside. Just accept that that's a real thing. But also, it's really dangerous to say that at the end of the day, suicide can be a reset button. That it's, it's you know, the great equalizer. That uh, at the end of the day, you can always rely on suicide. It's the safety net. And that idea is talked about in the docu-series. Um, and she even asked one of her followers, of like, or I think somebody that came to one of her speaking events, of like, why are you still here? You know, why are you still here? You know, if you're miserable, if you think you're going to continue to be miserable, why are you still here? And that can be really dangerous working with people that are not mentally stable. Um, so let's see here if there's anything else. This is just a really broad overview. And I don't mean to uh, short thrift any of uh, Teal's work. But like I say, I do encourage you to check it out for yourself. Uh, it's really fascinating, some of her videos. Uh, she obviously uh, has some sort of gift. Uh, she might not use it in the right way. And I think at the end of the day, and I don't want to give away spoilers and stuff, I still have not seen her answer some of the accusations that have been brought up in this docu-series. Um, you know, and I... I try to make excuses for everyone or I try to empathize and, and really go, okay, well, she's really proud of her work, so she's not going to like bow down and stuff. But when you start having people accuse you of uh, 
inching people towards suicide, I think, you know, you have to look at things a little bit differently. And like I said earlier, two things can be true at once. She can be incredibly gifted in certain ways, how she sees the human condition, but she could also be extremely dangerous. And, you know, I think that's, it's all about setting boundaries because we've seen so much how these gurus can really turn bad. I mean, I hate to use the example of the docuseries The Vow on HBO, which I think they should be having a season two pretty soon. But listen, we watched uh, Keith Raniere and all, I mean, just how it just got so out of hand. So the the abuse, the, 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 the branding of the skin, you know, the sexual element of all of that. Um, but at the end of the day, what I love so much about this docu-series is that it's such big issues. But when you look inward, it's this really, uh, really, there's an entrance point into this that you can all understand. It is not, it is not too smart. It is not too, you know, it's like, I, you know, I sometimes think when, oh man, we're dealing with like life or death and these big otherworldly thoughts about a higher power and you like, but at the end of the day, sometimes some of these scenes are just like Vanderpump Rules. And that's what I found so interesting about it. Now, you're going to hear from today the director, John Kasabi, who is an Emmy award-winning director, by the way. And I get to talk to him about a couple of the other projects he's working on because, remember, he's an artist. You know, these people move on. Uh, he even mentions he doesn't want to be in the spiritual space. Uh, he's a documentarian. Like, you know, he's already moved on to many other projects. And this project itself took so many years. I mean, three years to shoot this, to actually get the trust of Teal and her team to be able to be the fly on the wall, which then we get to see. And it is so amazing. And I think that is one of Teal's complaints, too, is this guy and his crew came in and we treated them like family. But he was upfront about a lot of these things. Um, but that's part of a documentary is getting the subject to trust you. And I do not see uh, the deception in that because he's trying to capture lightning in a bottle. He's trying to capture where we get a front row seat, where we feel like we're there. It is the ultimate VR experience, some of the scenes in this. So I highly re recommend it. I give it the so bad it's good stamp of approval. Let's just call it the so good it's great stamp of approval. And uh, if any of Teal's followers are listening or Teal, uh, I, I really try to treat this as fairly as possible. And, you know, if you ever want to come on, I, I don't think this would be your jam, but I, I'm always open to having uh, conversations with people. But my fascination is how these things are then brought to our TV screens. So without further ado, uh, and remember, Friday will be a big one with all the pop culture stuff that we love. And uh, I want to remind you guys that the Stop Sleeping with Tristan Thompson shirt is on sale, half off on Threadless. Um, I think it's for a couple more hours. So go get it because you know Tristan's going to keep doing that shirt's just going to gain value. Uh, but without further ado, uh, I'm so privileged to be able to speak to the director of The Deep End, John Kasabi. 
Folks, summer is just around the corner, so it's time to say goodbye to those jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. Now, I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune, and luckily, I found Quince. Now, I have a lineup of timeless pieces I want that will keep me looking fresh year after year. I got a pair of tan shorts. I got a pair of green shorts. I cannot wait to style these for summer. And I got to tell you, the quality is great because Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from 30 performance polos, and versatile flow knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman by partnering directly with top factories and passes that savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So you can feel good about what you're wearing on every level. So upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash so bad for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince.com slash so bad to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash so bad. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Welcome back to iHeartRadio. So bad it's good. Uh, today is something that I'm so excited about. If you have been listening to this show, I have been talking uh, about this particular series for the last month. Uh, I stumbled upon it based on a recommendation, and that's what I'm doing for you guys again today. I am recommending this with the highest recommendation I can possibly give you. This four-part docu-series takes you in and it does not let you go. I had to sit at like one sitting. I had to cancel things so I could finish watching this because I was so involved. It is such a beautiful piece of work, not only in the subject matter in which it deals with, but the way that it's shot, the way that it's edited, the way that the music is behind it. At times, I was shocked to find out I was watching something that was actually real. Uh, it involves a, uh, a guru, a self-help uh, guru potential uh, named Teal Swan, millions of followers uh, across the globe. And this is a stunning behind the scenes look of her work, her practice and herself. Now, today we have the director of this four part docuseries, and I cannot wait to get into this because it truly was one of the most uh, really, truly amazingly, eye-openingly, frighteningly, like just an amazing viewing experience. John Casby, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Ryan. Um, John, I, I really truly think like, did this truly take you three years? I mean, just in the filming aspect of this being around Teal? Yeah. So it was shot over the course of three years, but, uh, I'd say in total number of days of actually shooting was about, uh, I think five months, five months of actual filming days over the course of three years. And a lot of that time, you know, we spent a lot of time not filming as well, um, which I think is really important. I think that's something to, to point out in this process. Um, you know, the world gets to see the series, but it's really the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole, there's a whole foundation underneath it um, that kind of gives us that privilege of being able to be there for those moments that you're seeing in the show. And that privilege just is forming a relationship. I mean, right between Teal and her followers and, and we get to, you know, we're introduced to so many different characters through this, their, you know, Teal's team, as you will. Um, 
so I, it really does seem like they trusted you enough to let you guys into that, that, you know, that whole experience. What drove you to this project in the first place? I mean, I know there was the Gateway podcast. Uh, you know, she's obviously insanely popular on YouTube. But what for you personally was like, I, I really would love to tell this story. Yeah, so this actually started, the production company I did my first feature film with called The Documentary Group reached out to me about this story. Um, they shared the podcast with me and they sent me some articles and I just started educating myself a little bit on Teal's work and, and the world. And I think what drew me in, I mean, right off the bat, first of all, she's an incredible, intriguing, dynamic character. And as a storyteller, those are the types of people that we're looking for. And in that sense, she did not disappoint at all. Like I live for meeting people like this. And I and immediately I wanted to uh, to bring audiences into her world. Um, and to be able to spend time with her. So I was very excited to meet her. Um, but beyond that, from what I was seeing online, there was a real dichotomy in how people were responding to her. You know, she has on one hand, she's got millions of followers who are saying things like this person saved my life. She's not afraid to speak the truth. Uh, she healed all of my pain. On the other hand, you've got a group of critics who are saying yeah. things like these techniques are really dangerous. This person has no formal training. Her practices are actually encouraging people to commit suicide. So that dichotomy, those opposing perspectives immediately drew me in on a very personal note where I was like, I want to understand how one person, one character in their teaching is pulling out such opposing viewpoints. So that's, that's kind of how it began. It seems like she was acutely uh, aware also of these accusations. I mean, in the actual, you know, series is that, you know, she even hires uh, somebody to actually do an outside uh, research, you know, project about if this potentially could be deemed a cult or not. And I don't want to spoil anything, even though it'll probably be spoiled at some point in this interview. I mean, but going into this, how do you as a documentarian, and I know you have like kind of a rich history of, of, of doing documentaries and, and, and really, you know, you won Emmy, you know, all this stuff. How do you talk with somebody and tell them that like, I want to do the whole story warts and all. Uh, it just seems so, especially for Teal and seeing how concerned she is. I mean, how hard was that to convince her to do this? Because there's a good chance she could end up looking bad. The trick was I didn't convince her. Um, I, I went there without a camera. And I was very transparent and very honest and very direct. I told them, you know, this is what the filmmaking process is. I do a lot of filming. You can ask me to stop at any time. I was really transparent about the editing process involved. Um, I encouraged them to look at my past work, which they really liked. And I think they were kind of inspired by and excited the idea of having something like that done on them um, and made it really clear that I wanted to see Teal's world in its entirety. Um, and there's a lot of people with opposing perspectives and I wanted to embrace that and bring them into the conversation. And her manager was actually the one that encouraged me to speak to critics and gave me contact info for some of those people and, and ultimately encouraged us to film with Molly. So I think, I think at the beginning of this process, Teal really appreciated that I was honest and direct and transparent with her about what we wanted to do and what the process was like. And I remember early on, one thing she said to me was, you know, John, I actually feel safer when there's a camera pointed at me because I've been through so much abuse in my past that I know if it's documented, there'll be proof of it. And so for me, that was kind of this moment where I was like, wow, as a filmmaker, there's a real opportunity here where you have someone who's, you know, appears to be totally open, has nothing to hide, is, is unapologetic about their methods and the way they move through the world and, and really wants to be seen and is opening the doors to, uh, to this process. I mean, before we get back into uh, Teal in this, how did you come up as a documentarian? Why do you like this form? Um, you know, what is this that draws you to this this form to begin with? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I had a unique uh, upbringing as a kid. My parents were Christian missionaries. And so most of my childhood was spent being homeschooled, traveling the world, trying to convince people to become Christian. And through that process, um, 
I was put in situations where I was talking with a lot of people and connecting with people who thought very differently from me. Um, so from a very young age, I was super interested in that conversation that can, that can happen when you're talking to someone who has been raised completely differently than you and thinks very differently than you and moves through the world very differently than you. So that idea of building bridges and trying to start conversations has always fascinated me. And it's, it's, it's a theme in all of my work. My first feature film was about um, poachers in Kenya and wildlife rangers and looking at both sides of that divide. Um, you know, most recently I just finished a film. Is that about, the when lambs become lions? Yeah, that's when lambs become lions. And then most recently I just finished a film um, about a robot in Hong Kong named Sophia. And that's a, you know, a look at uh, artificial intelligence. And on one hand, you've got people who are saying this robot's a puppet and there's no AI there. On the other hand, you have people saying this is, this is the most advanced AI we have. <laughs> yeah. And she's going to be alive in our lifetime. So it's yeah. like, how do you make sense of this? Stuff? So <laughs> I, I'm finding myself, and it's, you know, it's taken some therapy to figure that out. You know, I didn't, I didn't consciously go into all these projects realizing that, but as I step back and I look at the common themes, there's, there's always some sense of dichotomy that I'm always wrestling with. It's kind of keeping me awake at night that I think ends up being the, the fuel that keeps the fire going throughout the process. Cause these take, you know, yeah. these take, take years. Years. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was just, it's just wild. It's like, I read the creative process of like musicians or creating an album and how like the patience and all the care that goes into these things. And then you release it into the world, not knowing how it's going to be perceived by the audience or even the subject matter itself, which I just like, I would just, my stomach would be in knots all the time. Uh, but going into this project then as a documentarian, it obviously seems like you go in or how do you go in with not preconceived notions? I mean, you've obviously listened to the podcast that the gateway podcast, you would read all of these things. How do you not go in of going like, well, I hope we get this. I hope we get that. How are like, how have you learned to, to, you know, just go, I want to just let the camera tell a story. Yeah. I mean, it usually starts by putting like putting some space and time in between those processes. Like there's a, there's a the part of the process where you're trying to educate yourself on what exists. So, and for me, that's really important because the last thing I want to do is, is create something that is not actually adding to the conversation. So in terms of teal and spirituality and self-help gurus, uh, we'd seen so many pieces where you're, you know, you're talking to people who have gotten out of groups like that and are, are discussing it in the past tense. Right. Or we'd seen a lot of pieces where people were on the perimeter, on the outside of Teal's world, commenting in on it, but not actually in it. And so early on, it was really clear to us what we haven't seen is something that's told from within that takes on the perspective of the people within it, but also from the people without. Uh, oh, I mean, we're, guys, we have a front row seat like there. There is like many things where their followers are in a living room where I felt like I was a part of a session with Teal. I mean, it was just really just the way it was shot. And all, it was so visceral. That's so I mean, that was the goal. That was the goal. We wanted to bring you into our experience. We wanted to let audiences go through what we went through being there. Um, and, and it's very much so, so by design. Um, and, 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 you know, the, the term I keep going back to is present tense. Like everything you're seeing in the show is what's happening right then and there. And, and what, what I like about that is that if you're into this story, if you're into the show and you want to learn more, there's a lot of other pieces you can go dig into. And, and the way I see it is that I really see the conversation starting when the series ends. Like that's when the discussion should oh. begin. John, man, I like the moment I finished this first off, I was ticked that it ended. I was like, there, that's it. Like I was, I was like looking at, like, I was, I was looking it up online. I was like, when's the next episode? And it was like, that's it. And then I went online and I started, I listened to the podcast from that point. I went and went on all these YouTube videos from current followers to ex followers. I mean, I really got fascinated by the entire process and wanting to know more about it. And, and I guess probably, like you said, that was the goal uh, but it's just, I mean, I was going to save this for the end, but if you shoot this long, you have to have 
I mean, you got to have another series in there. I mean, there are scenes where I'm like, what happened after this? Even in the beginning, you guys, there's a really intense scene in a pool that opens up the entire series where, you know, there's a really big, huge emotional moment happening. And I was like, I want to know more about that. Or there's just all these kind of, but I love that we sometimes don't get to see it. I love that there's this, it's constant searching for the viewer's mind. Yeah. And it's, it's tough. You know, I think for us, there's always scenes that you love that don't make it in the final product. And, and a lot of what didn't make, because, you know, we shot thousands of hours of footage Yeah, and, you know, the series is four hours long. So there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that didn't make it, but a lot of what's not in there is, is actually quite repetitive. Like you're seeing the same things over and over and over. And, and for us, you know, the way that we got access to those scenes is we, we lived them first. Oftentimes when you're seeing those, you know, troubling dynamics between Teal and her inner circle, or when you're seeing one of these emotional processes unfolding in front of you, the reason we're able to be there with the camera and get those is because we were there first without cameras, right? Like we, we went yeah, there and we, we understood it. what it felt like. We lived it for a moment. Um, and that's, that's what kind of earned that process. And then that's what we wanted to bring audiences into as well. Well, John, how do you not get sucked in or seduced by that? Like, how do you not like that's another thing as a documentarian? Like, was there ever a thing of like, wow, I'm actually liking her too much or this is actually changing how I perceive uh, the world at large or my spiritual presence? How do you you know what I'm saying? Like, how do you like I would be afraid of getting so sucked in that it would be like I'm all of a sudden a follower of Teal. Absolutely. I mean, first of all, I'll say we had a really, really good psychologist that worked with me <laughs> and everyone amazing. on the yeah, team. Yeah. And, I, and I, you know, it's, it's funny, but it's also really true. And it wasn't just for the people filming. It was also for the people editing in post. Cause I think there is a lot of trauma. And I think there's a lot of pain that can carry on to that post process. We have editors sitting there watching hundreds of hours of footage, like it rubs off on you. So we had a, a really, really talented, um, excellent, uh, psychologist working with us, um, very closely. And it was very grounding, you know, it was very grounding mm-hmm. and it was very helpful in kind of identifying patterns and figuring out, Uh, when we were getting a little bit too sucked in because, you know, by design, we were trying to do everything we could to emulate what the process of getting sucked into this world is looks like, you know, like people who are coming to Teal for the first time, they're not getting all the backstory. They don't know all of the criticism about her online. They're not, they're not digging into that. They're seeing someone on Instagram or on YouTube and they're liking a video and they're showing up for an event and they're signing up for a treat and then they're offering to volunteer and then they're trying to get into the inner circle. So there's kind of this, this, this track that you go down and um, we were trying to show that as closely as we could. And that's really what I think Juliana does in this show. You know, when she flies over from Germany to join the, to join the group and, and to be with Blake. Um, and we wanted to replicate that for people and, and do it in a way that felt as honest and raw and true um, so the audiences could get a, a feeling for what that's actually like. Yeah. I mean, and you truly achieved that. And I'm going to have told the audience already a kind of a descriptor before that with all the characters involved. Um, I, but keeping that kind of like stance of, 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 of not deciding things of letting just things unfold. Um, but also in your process of being there for months and stuff for Teal herself and, you know, people like Blake, what was the learning curve for them? Was there a period of time where they almost started acting for the cameras and you had to get them away from that of just, just be you. It's always awkward at the beginning. Um, whenever I talk to other filmmakers, I always say, you know, the first two to four weeks, uh, you're not oftentimes getting things that are very useful because it, it, it's a it's a dance it's a dance and everyone's yeah. kind of figuring out how each other move and and for us as well for me and the other cinematographer on this project we were learning uh, the patterns and how people moved and where they looked and how they spoke and um and the goal and i think when you're getting to a real flow is when you've spent so much time with someone you're filming that you're actually starting to able to predict 
what they're going to do. And that's when you get some of these really special shots where you see someone speak and then you see the camera pan over to someone else and then they speak immediately. You're able to achieve that because you've seen it happen enough times that you've learned the dynamics as to who's going to go when and what's going to happen. And, you know, there's a bit of a guesstimate every single time, but there's something really special when you can kind of stop thinking and you, in some ways you kind of just go into this autopilot flow. Um, it's very much so like a dance. It's a beautiful thing once you kind of reach that point. As a director of this, were there certain moments, um, and I, I mean, I know for myself watching it, but that you were like jaw dropped, like, I can't believe we're getting this right now. I mean, are you that detached from things or can you tell of like, this is so real and so raw, I cannot believe this? Oh, all the time. That was happening all the time. I mean, I think yeah. in, in episode one, you know, the scene with Simon, that was the first time I ever saw someone push back against her. Um, and you you moment, guys, she, what he's talking about is that they have like this, you know, they're all talking in the living room space. And he he actually asked her a question of like, well, why, you know, you say you about other gurus and, you know, and she it, it's a really interesting thing that one of her followers kind of pushes back and it is not taken well. But we capture the whole thing. And it, it's like, oh, I can't believe we're seeing I can't believe this made it in. Yeah, it was one of those moments where I was like, I'm, I'm shocked that this is happening because, you know, I'd seen I'd seen uh, responses like that in private. I'd seen responses like that in the inner circle, but I'd never seen something like that with a group at a retreat. Um, so in that moment, I was I was really I was kind of excited to see what was going to happen, like how she going to respond to this person kind of pushing back a little bit, because it's very rare to see people challenge Teal. It doesn't happen very often. Um, that was one moment. I mean, there were a lot of moments um, with the Blake and Teal and Juliana dynamic where um you know, they were just so raw and so real. And it, it you know, it makes sense. You know, I, I don't think all of the credit on this can go towards us as filmmakers or this access or this trust. Like it's also the way that this community operates. Like they put authenticity on this hierarchy as one of the most valuable things in being authentic in every single moment. And so one thing you'll see Teal do a lot is whenever she's talking with someone, she feels like they're not being real. She'll actually challenge them and say, no, that's not your authentic truth. I can see your truth and that's not it. Give me the truth. And so she pushes people constantly. Um, and again, it goes back to this kind of unapologetic attitude about what she's doing and who she is. And so I think the combination of those two things led to um, this recipe where, where we as filmmakers were able to see everything unfold and bring audiences right into that. Uh, it is interesting, though, you are capturing real life, but at the same time, it's sometimes real life falls into these, I wouldn't say tropes, but I mean, I do a lot of shows about real housewives and TLC documentaries and these kind of really like, wow, that's really extreme, almost so much that I think it's fake. But we even find out when it's really real, it almost sometimes comes off like a housewife show as well, even with the 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 leaving of Blake and the Juliana relationship and stuff. And I was like, this is wild. Like even at the highest spiritual realm with people trying to really help people, you cannot turn away from like actual drama of relationships and love and betrayal. It, it was wild. We're all human. We're all human. We're all wrestling with the same, with the same themes in a lot of ways. And it was, it was interesting to see. And I did not expect that at all. Like when I first came into this, I don't want to ruin the ending for people who haven't seen it, but when I first came into this, one of the first things Blake said to me in an interview was, um, you know, I've been with Teal for 18 years and I would die for this. Like, there's nothing that would, that would take me out of, this is like the ultimate life purpose for me. And I care about this mission more than anything. And I would take a bullet for it. Um, so, you know, that that's, and I, and I, by the way, I believed him. Like when I, I mean, like, even in like from the bear, like that, that to me seemed like a loyal, a loyal part of the Teal army. Um, and you know, he was with her on the stage at speaking events. He was the right hand. I mean, really, truly. I mean, I, I really felt for that guy. I mean, what an internal struggle he must've been going through the entire, uh, I mean, I mean, God, the last probably 18 years. I believed him too. 
and it was painful. It was painful to watch. It was really hard. But also on the other hand, you know, there were things about watching his dynamic with Teal that were hard to watch too, and that were unsettling. And, and there was this feeling of like him wanting something for himself and this feeling of him wanting more in life and to have ownership over something that's just his. So, um, I mean, that's the biggest compliment to you though, is that I felt like these were people that I knew or even friends of mine where you want better for them, where you're like, come on, man, you got Blake, you got this dude. Like you can do, you know, you kind of root for certain people. And I'm not saying I'm rooting against Teal, uh, but you know, sometimes these people on the higher, you know, the, the, the high position, they're always praised upon and sometimes underlings and people underneath, uh, do not have some of that shine sometimes. A lot of people have reached out saying something just like that, where they're like, you know, I have a Blake in my life. You know, yeah. I, I know a Blake uh, yes. or I know a Teal. I know a Teal. You know, my, my stepmom is just like Teal. I've, I've gotten that a few times. So it's it's interesting. Um, and and, and it, it's it's always incredible. And I think it's in a lot of ways the goal when you can make something that other people can bring their own experiences to their own perspective to and add to it. You know, it allows it to be an equation where you can put yourself in the shoes of the people you're watching. And I think that's that's the type of storytelling I love because that actually, I think, can, can change the way people think. I think that can actually impact the way we think about mental health, the way we think about healing, the way we think about communicating in relationships. So it excites me to hear you say that. I would be remiss if I didn't really spend a moment talking about the uh, the cinematography, the editing, the choice of music. Uh, like I said earlier, this is such a visceral experience, you guys. It is such a cut above anything that I've seen like this. Even recently, you could include The Vow, you could include, you know, but just what... I mean, going into this as a director, that had to have been a clear vision for you. Or did you find that in the edit? Because, I mean, just the editing and the time lapsing, the the music. I mean, it, I, I keep trying to explain to people what I feel that was. And I, I find it hard because I'm like, well, this is just truly unique. What was that in your head? What is the thesis statement for how you uh, put this together? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I got to give a shout out to my team because it's, you know, there's a yeah. lot of people working with me that, that make that possible. And I'm working with an amazing cinematographer, David Bolin, and some really talented editors like Freddie Shanahan and Jeff Gilbert and Alex Gazinski and Dan Durant. So it's, it's, and these are, these are teams of people I oftentimes work with. And, and what, what it kind of goes back to, especially with the cinematography is that, you know, every shot you're seeing is handheld, right? So we're holding these with our hands and oftentimes we're shooting anywhere between eight to 15 hours a day. Um, and the reason we go handheld and don't use any stabilizing equipment or anything else is because it allows us to be very close to the people we're filming and to kind of create this intimate connection between the camera and the subject. Um, and, the, and there's, you know, there's, there are shakes in it. There's kind of errors. There's kind of this, this, uh, something very like beautiful, but real about, um, the handheld human nature of it that allows you to get into places that you wouldn't necessarily be able to if you're using a tribe or using stabilization. Um, so I think that's, I think that's one part of, it. I think the other part of it too is the relationship. You know, you can feel that the person on camera um, has consented. You can feel that they've agreed to be there. You can feel that they feel comfortable with the process that's happening. And I think um, that's really due to all of the conversations we had about what we were making and why we were making it and everyone knowing that at any point they could tell us to stop. Um, and not just that, not that. So that was a really, actually a rule that you put in place. Oh, this could be put, stopped at any time. It's a rule I put in place on every project I do. And the number of projects I've had that I've started that have, that have kind of not gone anywhere because of that um, is a lot, is a lot. And so, and I think that's why you're able to see people feel comfortable because there, they, there is a sense of ownership of everyone that we're filming with ownership over what we're doing. Um, and it also means, and also leads to a lot of scenes, you know, halfway through a scene, someone saying, please stop filming. And we immediately cut, there's no questions asked. We cut immediately. Um, and I think that's what kind of creates the, this, this safety, this true safety between the filmmakers and the people being filmed. 
um, that, that I think pays off dividends in the long run, especially as you get to episodes three and four, where everything starts to unravel and you can tell that, um, you know, no one's asking us to stop at that point. I think they've, no, so I mean, not at all. It. I mean, times when I thought they would, they just didn't. Now is my favorite part of the show. When we get to talk about our sponsors for the week, we have a returning sponsor and a brand new sponsor. So I am so excited about our new sponsor. Uh, you might've heard of them before. Uh, they're called Babbel. Uh, for most of us learning a second language in high school or college wasn't exactly a high point in our academic careers. Yo soy Esteban folks. <laughs> I took beginner Spanish in high school and it's like, I just learned Casa de Pepe, which is uh, the bathroom. <laughs> now, thanks to Babbel, the language learning app that has sold more than 10 million subscriptions, there's an addictively fun and easy way to learn a new language. Whether you'll be traveling abroad, connecting in a, a deeper way with family, or you just have some free time, Babbel teaches bite sized language lessons that you'll actually use in the real world. Now, I chose uh, Spanish. Uh, I do have a lot of friends that speak Spanish. Uh, I live in Los Angeles where uh, I do get to hear people speak Spanish all of the time, and I actually want to learn. It would be amazing to be able to learn a language, and it's really cool, and it's really easy. I'm going to tell you how to do it. I signed up. You tell them which language you want to learn. There's a bunch of different options that you can learn. Uh, I chose Spanish, but Babbel, can even, you can even put in how many minutes you want to be able to study a day. So Babbel has 15 minute lessons and it's the perfect way to learn a language on the go. So other language learning apps use AI for their lesson plans, but Babbel lessons were created by over 100 language experts. Their teaching method has been scientifically proven to be effective. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian, and German. Those, those are the big ones. Plus, Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent. There are so many ways to learn with Babbel. In addition to lessons, you can access podcasts, games, videos, stories, and even live classes. Plus, it comes with a 20-day money-back guarantee. Start your new language learning journey today with Babbel. So here is the call to action, folks. Right now, get this, you can save up to 60% off your subscription when you go to B-A-B-B-E-L, that's babbel.com slash so bad. So that's B-A-B-B-E-L.com slash so bad for up to 60% off your subscription. Uh, Babbel, it is a language for life. Uh, you guys, I'm telling you, just go check it out. Use that, that, uh, the babble.com slash so bad. Just go check it out for yourself. Um, I got to, uh, start this, this past week and it just really, I geek out about stuff like this. I'm always trying to learn new things and I'm always scared about the time it'll take. And this does it in such bite-sized ways that I'm like, Oh my God, what if I'm fluent by the end of the year? <laughs> but honestly, that's like such a good deal. Go do some of you guys. Can you all do, do this? Do it. And now our, uh, our second, uh, sponsor, and they've been with us before it is our friends over at Dame. Now uh, we, we talked about Dame a couple weeks ago and they sent me some of their products and we, we did a live review on air and they're just really cool. They're designed with this really unique, sophisticated design. Um, so the, the things that they sent us was, uh, the, the Ava and it is a couple's product. And by 
by the way, you guys, trigger warning, if people don't want to hear about uh, really cool sex, sexual products that give pleasure for women, uh, fast forward, I guess. But I think Dame is just an amazing company that is doing all the things right. Uh, but let's be honest, sex is better when everyone is enjoying themselves. That's why Dame Products designed Ava, the first hands-free vibrator for couples. You can boost pleasure and connection for all with a little toy that won't get in the way. Sharing pleasure during intimacy not only feels good in your body, but it can increase your emotional connection and decrease your stress levels so you can take those good feelings with you throughout your day. But in order to get there, even the most sexually motivated couples can benefit from a strategically placed buzz. Enter Dame Products. Dame Products designed its hands-free toy Ava specifically for couples. It nestles close to the body and stays put with just a finger so you and your partner can focus on intimacy. Designed to enhance, not distract from pleasure. Eva is your sex life's new best friend. So what are you waiting for? Try adding a toy into the mix and discover uh, new layers of pleasure you can share, plus sex you'll look forward to. Um, it truly is something that can enhance. And that's what this is all about. Uh, whether it be with somebody you love, whether it be for yourself, like this is something that, uh, we should not be ashamed of or shy away from. Um, and, and I think if anything can help you have, uh, more pleasure and in a, a safe way, then I am so all for it. So go to dameproducts.com and enter so bad today for 15% off site-wide. That's code so bad to take 15% off your first order at dameproducts.com. All of that information is going to be on the show notes as well. Also, they had sent me another product that uh, is called the Air, A-E-R. They have so many cool products. Just check it out for yourself. Go on the website, see if there's anything that, uh, that you like, because they even have like cool sex oil that's like a all natural full body massage oil formulated with arousing ingredients. I was reading you guys the ingredients a couple weeks ago and it was like, there was like, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. So Dame products. It's your new best friend. Dameproducts.com. Use code so bad today for 15% off site wide. There you go. And then even just like in, in, terms of music and things like that. Like, I don't feel like it's leading, but at the same time, there is this such eerie quality uh, to the whole experience. Like, I just like, it's a very, it's almost like one of those like 4d movie experiences where you're like, suck. I mean, just like there were hairs on my back of my neck standing up at certain times. Was that, I mean, how do you explain that of your like, okay, here, I want something to really pull like as a director, yeah. how do you even explain that to somebody? I have to, g- I got to give credit to where credit's due. That's uh, so our composer, West Dylan Thorsten, we had a music supervisor, Susanna Perrick and a sound designer, Paul Shu, who work very closely together. And it's really interesting working with them because it, it, it's never a process of me saying, Hey, I want a song like a cue, like this in this area. Like that's, that's never happened. Yeah, like- <laughs> what, what, what happens is I'll bring them in very early uh, and show them string outs as we're just trying to get a sense for who the people are. Um, and for what they want and what they need and where they're headed. Um, and what Wes and Susanna do is they spend a lot of time thinking about them as characters. And then that translates into their, their process where they start just creating these string outs of tones. I um, and saying, does this feel true to Blake? Does this feel true to Juliana? Does this feel true to Teal? And then from there, it's a very loose, the, the songs are very loose uh, for a long time until we start refining the edit and really figuring out where the arc is going, where the characters are going. Um, and then they, they fine tune it. And what I love about that process is it allows for complexity 
And it allows for a cue to be telling you one thing. And then at the end of it, making you feel something else, which I think is what you're describing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it really, I mean, just really kind of a beautiful experience. I've watched it now two times through and it's, I keep just like, then I'll focus on something else. It's like this kind of weird onion, not only in storytelling, but how it's actually shot and pieced together. You as an artist though, um, are you able to, uh, uh, you know, are, are you, I know you're proud of everybody's work, but as an artist, are you like, ah, I wish I had done this differently. I wish, you know what, I should have left this scene in there. Like now that it's out in the world, um, how frustrating is it for you as an artist? Or are you like, I left it all on the dance floor. I love it. We left it all on the floor. Um, I mean, I think the thing, the thing that was tough for me on this process was really the edit schedule was tough. You know, it was a lot tighter than I wish it had been. I wish we'd had more time there, but there's nothing I think I would do differently in how we edited this together and the fact that it's four episodes, you know, there was a lot of pressure for it to be more episodes. Um, but yeah, really I'm going to felt... put pressure on you right yeah, now. I to make my... <laughs> Literally. Yes. I'm putting pressure. Please. Yeah, I have no, a fifth. Yeah. I, I, I feel that very strongly right now. Um, no, I mean, I, I think for us, it's, well, I think one thing we're seeing in the nonfiction doc space is a lot of stories are getting stretched. They're getting stretched and there's a lot of yeah, episodes yeah. being made. And I think that was the last thing we wanted to do here. We wanted to make something that felt true to the story, that felt representative, that felt like it deserved four episodes. And we feel like with what we saw unfold uh, over the course of shooting, uh, four was the right number. I was a little nervous as a viewer in the beginning, thinking I would not be able to understand these people, that it would go so over my head. You know, this is a, a guru. This is somebody that's helped so many people that I might not understand verbiage and all that stuff. But, it, you know, that's just not the case at all. You know, you can completely uh, understand all sides of this story to me. Uh, and it really does a great job of, of letting the viewer in and not uh, looking down on a viewer or something, which I find really impressive for a, something like this. Um and I do think that, you know, even all things considered, this was treated very fairly. But when you, uh, you know, even in the podcast, they talk about Teal and this is a trigger warning about being a, you know, a suicide catalyst at times. There are accusations like that thrown into how um, how comfortable I mean, it seemed like she was very comfortable in talking about these things. And I thought this was portrayed fairly. Can two things be true at once, though? You know, can Teal be dangerous to some people, but also help so many other people? I feel like those both representations are shown in this. Absolutely. And that was my takeaway. And I think that's what makes people like Teal so complicated and so hard to understand at times, because, you know, like I said at the beginning, on one hand, you got a lot of people saying she saved my life. On the other hand, you got a lot of people with horrific stories of abuse who Va really and valid concerned. stories. It seems like, you know, valid. I mean, not, not like just like we're making up that aliens came to like valid, actual emotional. Absolutely. Stories. Absolutely. I, well, we heard valid stories on both sides. And that's why I think we felt a responsibility to show both sides um, and to, and to let audiences really wrestle with that. And I think the last thing we wanted to do, um, was tell people what to think. We weren't trying to create something that said this person is is one way or another way and and you know eat that and digest that. We really wanted to show what we saw over the course of shooting and let audiences wrestle with it and kind of come to their own conclusions. How though, uh, as a documentarian though, was there a point where you made up your mind where you're like, or did that show up in the edit a little bit more of like, well, the story's heading this direction and it's almost convincing me of a certain thing. Once again, it kind of comes back to that thing I was talking about earlier of how do you remain, um, you know, at a zero, how do you remain where it can go anywhere? Cause some of these things I was like, wow, that would be really hard for me to come back in the next day. Yeah. I don't think you can remain at a zero. I, I don't, if you care about what you're doing, I don't think you can remain. That's at okay. A zero. Yeah. And I, I think the thing that, um, 
the thing that I found is that it was a roller coaster. It was an emotional roller coaster over time. There were days, you know, where we really were in awe of what Teal was doing and her ability to emotionally connect and her ability to see people and her ability to hold space. There were times where we saw that and we were like, wow, she's really, she's really helping people. And there's other days where we saw instances where, you know, it really felt like there was pressure being applied and it really felt like something wasn't true to someone, or it really felt like, um, you know, there was kind of an ego uh, at play in the dynamic that left us quite unsettled. So we felt both. Uh, we were all over the place. And that's why it was really helpful to have a, a therapist on the outside that we could talk to that really grounded us and to have our creative team to bounce these ideas around with. And, and in the edit, you know, it was it was wild in the edit because every editor had their own, you know, they're watching a days of footage that's and they had there, one, there were the, the number of fights in the edit. I can't tell you. It was incredible. That's what I was saying. How many like, arguments were with the creative oh, team? So of, many. That's what I'm like. And is that part of the process that you love of that constant, like it's crucial. In there? Yeah, it's crucial. It's crucial. And the thing I would always tell the team is, uh, you know, I'd say, look, look, you know, if we show this in a, in a theater and a hundred people watch it, it's okay if people are split, you know, if half the people love it and half people hate her, if half people think she's doing, you know, important work and half the people are troubled about what she's doing, that's okay because that's actually representative of what we experienced in the field. And that was kind of the guiding compass at, at all of these steps um, in the creative process. Like, does this feel true to what we experienced in the field? Um, and the process in the field was very complicated and it was a roller coaster and we were all over the place emotionally. So, so I mean, the, the pre-production, the shooting, and then you have the release of this thing into the world. And, you know, from like everybody I recommend this to, therefore, I have to explain what it is. I've, I've not heard of that. I've got to hurt, you know, it's like, great, great. You're going to love it. You know, sit down. And it is one of the things that so far I'm batting 100% where nobody has come back and said, I didn't care for that. Everybody has been so sucked in. And that's why I was just so like, I got to talk to this guy. I got to talk. I got to tell people more about this, but then for you, it's got to be a different scenario when it comes out because you are dealing with reactions from these people that you have spent years with. And even though they knew the process they signed up for, I find it very interesting that we almost get like a real housewives. I got a bad edit. You know, these are excuses I've heard now for years from reality stars. And I know she's not a reality star. She's a guru. She's somebody that's helped a lot of people, but I hear the same kind of reality star excuse, like, well, it's a bad edit. It's on the, you know, the way they manipulated. And I feel like that is, you know, how is that? I mean, does that personally ever hurt you or you're like, that's part of being a documentarian? I mean, I feel both, you know, I think given what we said to her at the beginning of this process, we're pretty surprised by her reactions to this. Um, you know, there were a number of conversations that were pretty un unambiguous about the scope of work. And we did exactly what we said we were going to do. We said we we're going to spend a lot of time there and look closely at her community and film and edit what we saw happen and, and, you know, show what we felt like was important. And at the end of the day, there were three core things that really rose to the surface. And the first one was the internal conflict with her inner circle. The second was that, you know, we kept seeing people from the outside come in looking for help and experiencing mixed results. And the third was that they hired a private investigator to determine if they're a cult and if Teal's responsible for the, for the suicides and that we were going to follow that journey and see the results. Um, so we showed what we witnessed while we were there. Um, and, but at the same time, I have to say, I'm also, I'm also not surprised by Teal's reaction to this. You know, her response sort of aligns with everything we've seen her do in the way she treats people who disagree with her or leave her group. This idea of kind of crafting an alternative narrative that discredits um, perspectives that are different from her own. We've seen that happen with Jared and Blake and Tori, Cameron, Ma. I mean, there's a lot, there's a whole, if you go on the internet, you'll find a whole bunch of people who oh, have yeah. said that, but, but what I, what I, you know, at the end of the day, I've actually been encouraging people to watch her reaction videos because the number of people who have reached out to me and said, you know, I watched your series and it was so complicated and it really like got in my head and I can't stop thinking about it. And then I went and I, I watched Teal's reaction videos. And now I have no doubt about what this is. Like I can see it very, yeah. you know, well, it's so, like I want to be respectful to her and her followers as well. But at the same time, I've watched those reaction videos as well. And I was like, 
this is my part five of the series. This is like, you know, this is exactly what you're right. It's like, it's not surprising me at all. And also I I'm one of those big believers. Like I said, two things can be true at once. Like you can actually like Teal. You can actually like all of these people you spent years with. And also, but this is the process. This is, and I find it very interesting in the show. We really never get her. She never really is able to answer it. She never really did. There's a narcissistic quality to uh, Teal where it's never been able to just fully just answer to these accusations. It's always something bigger, somebody else, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, which is very much humanity uh, in a, a lot of instances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think you just said it well. She, in a lot of ways, she made the fifth episode for us. Yeah. Yeah. Video. I mean, so it's, it's, there's now a part of like, cause my, like, I was like, I, my stomach turns whenever I see a new reaction video. Cause I'm like, Oh, are you like out there sweating this? Are you out there? But for you, it seems I'm, like, this is what they signed up for. I, uh, you know, am guilt-free in what I put out there. And this, this is what it is. No, I totally stand by the series. And I think when you agree to give access to this process, you're agreeing to subject yourself to a, to a process. Um, and we, we, I don't have any doubts about what we made. Um, it is troubling. You know, I think what, what concerns me about it is that Teal's a very influential person who has a lot of followers. And what, what worries me is when you have someone like that coming out against the series and saying things that aren't true and, and a lot of followers just believing that at face value. Um, and yeah. so for us, you know, that I think the troubling part of this for us and for a lot of people who are in the documentary that, um, you know, disagree with Teal or leave her is that there's a lot of harassment now happening between Teal's followers and those people and us as the film team, you know, we're experiencing. Oh, no. I mean, like I was like, oh, this will, you know, when, when this interview gets released, I'll have her followers listening as well. Or I'll have, you know. Oh, absolutely. You'll, I'm sure you'll get your own share of it as well. But I think, you know, the thing that I keep going back to and that I, you know, whenever I talk with people about this is. The lesson for me, both personally through making it, and I think what the series is, is really trying to say, is that when you have someone in a position um, who's determining what's right or wrong for you, you're putting yourself at risk. Um, and that's something that uh, we experienced in the process of making this. It's something that we saw other people filming, that we were filming go through. And so what I'm encouraging everyone to do is just to stay informed, to stay skeptical, to have options. There's not a one size fits all to healing. Um, and sometimes that risk isn't always realized. You know, it could be at work, it could be at family, it could be within religion. It doesn't necessarily uh, mean that it's in a in a community like this one. Um, yeah. So again, you know, agency for, for me, it really comes down to agency and, and trusting your gut and, and questioning. Yeah. And I wasn't even aware really of Teal before this documentary. And it did lead me to go searching more. And I'm not going to say, I, yeah, there are certain things that she says that I'm like, I totally agree with that. I, I really do. And and I think in today's day and age, you know, it's that kind of adage of any press is good press. I'm sure so many more eyes are on her that might even like del- glean some kind of information. But I think this series points out too, there needs to be a responsibility with anybody that is in a seat of helping somebody. And I think this points it out really gently. And also I really respect how I felt uh, this documentary really pulled a lot of punches. You didn't go delving into if uh, her, uh, you know, her origins origin story was completely true. You didn't delve. There were things that I was like, well, where's the episode on that? And you stayed away from that entirely. You really let them tell the story. Totally. It could have been much, much, much more salacious. Um, and we also have a lot of footage that was, you know, so triggering and so concerning that we, and so disturbing, we didn't put it in the show. Um, it's been interesting, you know, this whole, you know, Teal's campaign has been hashtag release the footage, trying to get us to release all this. Yeah, yeah. the Snyder cut, yeah, yeah. And it's so, yeah, it's so interesting because, I, you know, there's certainly a lot more material, but it's it's mostly things that were repetitive, showing what you're seeing in the show already. Um, and then a lot of it is too disturbing to show. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's been fascinating. The response has well, been fascinating. 
uh, a couple more minutes here. Um, uh, thank you so much for doing this once again. But uh, so as an artist uh, at this point, you know, you're obviously working on so many other projects. Um, you know, how hard is it for you to come back and talk about this when you want to talk about new ideas or even this after effect of like, you know, YouTube response videos and stuff? Um, you know, I don't imagine, do you get this on every project that you do? I just don't imagine it's at this fervor. I've never gotten this type of reaction from you. I've never had people uh, in in the piece ever respond this way. Um, and that's why we go to such great lengths to be so transparent at every step of the process and have those conversations before things even start. Um, so this is a first. This is a first for me. Um, but I've learned a lot through it. Um, I don't regret it. I, I I don't know if there's anything we could have gone back and done differently to avoid this reaction. Um, like I said, this is not this is not an uncommon reaction um, from Teal when when she uh, feels like people are disagreeing with her in any way. Um, but in terms of talking about it, no, I, I enjoy talking about it. You know, we very, what I said to the team when we finished is this is, this has kind of been our, our baby, you know, our child for years now. And then once we release it, it goes out and it's the world's and they can do and say whatever they want to with it. Um, so I'm just excited to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. And it's so exciting, you guys, because I feel like we're really at a thing, even though this was released, I think at the beginning of June or, in, you know, is that we are part of this. This is like, really, let's get this out there. This is what's beautiful about streaming is that this can get discovered at any time. And it's not tied into just one period of time. It's not like I need to watch it this week or I will miss the whole conversation. It's no, this is a piece that you can pick up today. I swear to God, you'll finish it today as well. But it is something that you can digest. But it will affect you probably forever. Um, when is the last time you've talked to Teal or Blake or any of these people? Do you have any kind of policy on once I'm done, I'm done? Oh no, I usually stay in touch with people. Um, but uh, with Teal and her team, we, uh, for other reasons I won't get into here, yeah, yeah. we're not able to stay in touch. But yeah, I've stayed in touch with with pretty much everyone else in the series. Okay. And then uh, you guys, this is on free form, but you can watch it on Hulu. Uh, Hulu is one of the easiest places that you can watch it. All four episodes are up there right now. I will be reminding you every day, probably for the rest of my life to check this out until you do. Uh, but John, what is the next thing? You said, obviously the AI project, you have other things in the can. We just um, are, yeah. are, are you being typecast at all as the uh, let's find out uh, if this is a cult guy. Like, are you getting pitched now all sorts of things? Like, I mean, are you like, I, I want to go so far away from this for the rest of my career. I'm probably going to take a break from spirituality <laughs> for a little bit. Um, I, I think that would be healthy for me on a personal note. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I'm not sure what's next. I'm, I'm taking some space. I'm really just le letting this experience uh, marinate and processing it um, and, and enjoying the conversation. Well, let's see if the AI community gets uh, in an uproar about your. Uh, I'm your sure projects. they will. I'm sure. I'm sure we just, we, just at, we just released that at Tribeca recently, and and that'll be out on Showtime in the fall. Well, um, hats off to you and your creative team. Uh, like I keep saying, I, I know this is like overdoing it, but really, truly just an amazing viewing experience that I highly recommend to everybody. John Casby, The Deep End, thank you so, so much for doing this. Thank you so much for having me on, Ryan, and for the encouragement and support. I really appreciate it. Five, four, three, two, one. Is that okay? Betches.